what lessons from history can teach us about fundraising today and planning for tomorrow during the season of the novel coronavirus. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school. And before we move on with our content today, I do just want to call out, you did not hear the opening jingle. You do not see the familiar graphics. And that is because Indiana University's social distancing policy has called for the closing of our normal recording studio. However, the fundraising school staff has come up with a novel solution of its own uh, by using Zoom technology so that we can continue to bring you this responsive, high-quality content, which today involves my colleague, Dr. Kathy Boditer. Kathy's been with us on the podcast before. Perhaps you took our ethics and fundraising course that Kathy designed and delivered. Uh, and Kathy also leads our master's program, co-leads our doctoral program. And in addition to her expertise in ethics, also is a historian. And these lessons from history uh, can help inform our fundraising again today and into the future. And Kathy, uh, as we have dealt with this coronavirus, so many people have talked about the great influenza, the so-called Spanish flu. What happened then and how can it inform us today? Right. Hi, Bill, and uh, greeting you from my office at home as we are at quite a distance from one another. So. Yes. Uh, so, a, a few kind of fun facts, if there's such a thing, uh, about the Spanish flu. So, for one thing, why was it called the Spanish flu? Well, the um, news, because World War I was going on, um, right? The World War I, 1914 to 1918, and the flu peaked 1918 and 1919. So, it was not exactly normal times when the flu occurred. There was a lot of censorship of news in the press, and um, the first news outlets that published that there might be an epidemic of flu going on were in Spain. Ah. So, hence the, the flu epidemic pandemic became called the Spanish flu. So, a few things we can learn. Um, I wanted to tell your listeners, first of all, this social distancing and flattening the curve that none of us have ever heard before. Like everything else, this is old. So <laughs> I will let me read you something that sounds hilarious now with what we're going on, what we're going through right now. In 1918, the Surgeon General had the following to say: number one, avoid needless crowding. This is a thing from 1918, yes. right? So they closed theaters, churches, schools. Now, people couldn't telecommute um, at this time, but uh, so many of the same phenomenon, avoid needless wow. crowding. Right. Um, so this is the very beginning of, of public health and, and our infrastructure. So uh, we knew this all this time ago. Um, do not cough and sneeze out in the open, right? Cover your mouth, um, wash your hands, wash your clothes, especially wash your hands before you eat. So all this is advice from more than a century ago. So I wow. actually thought that might be a bit comforting to know that what we're being told to do now is not uh, novel. We're not making this up. So a um, couple things on philanthropy. So you're not gonna be surprised when I tell you that informal philanthropy rose during times of crisis. And this was a flu that came in waves, which I don't think any of the experts are predicting now because the, um, 
the sharing of information was a very different thing. Um, and we had army camps and uh, um, lots of reasons that the flu came and went, and that is not expected to happen this time. So in, in each of the waves, uh, social service agencies, which were quite strapped for resources, um, did a lot of um, guerrilla fundraising, right, door to door, to, you know, not, not in crowds, not in churches, or in public meetings, as they might have done, um, but that was very definitely an important part of strategy. Um, and agencies and volunteers did things like delivering food, we're seeing that today, bringing people to hospitals, taking care of each other's children um, in communities. And um, since a lot of the, the Red Cross, which was a fairly new organization, a lot of the Red Cross infrastructure was um, helping war wounded, um, and there was not a lot of home front, what we saw were um, community citizens, some prominent citizens, some everyday people like me, um, creating like command centers in communities where people could come and get information, um, share supplies, share resources, and share ideas and, and human connections. So, um, so we see this very much happening today. For everyone who's hoarding something, there are more people who are sharing, um, I, I, collecting um, stories like that and asking my students to do that because that that's hopeful. And then the other hey, thing- Kathy, that, that's a great point. If I could just interject, is it oh, really just- it really just shows that even uh, when the philanthropy is not formal, which is what we measure and, and talk about so much today, it again demonstrates that philanthropy is part of the human spirit, part of the human condition, and people will rise up uh, in response right. to these crises. We saw that in 1918. We're seeing that now. And fundraisers, even if that doesn't translate to direct gifts right now, is still something we can uh, hold on to and, with hope and with expectation that this is how people respond. Absolutely. I have talked to um, a few of my colleagues in the last few days saying, I know there's going to be something that I'm going to be able to do to help. I'm just not sure right now what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So I think um, the more communication and people are really um, living more vicariously than ever through social media outlets, um, that that's the most important channel that we have right now as, as nonprofits. Um, hey, I also, yeah, please go ahead. I was going to shift gears um, related to the flu, but um, related more generally to public health and um, share a bit about the early years of the Rockefeller Foundation, because that actually ties to what we're experiencing right now. Um, the first of the Rockefeller philanthropies, and it's the first by a number of years, was the Rockefeller Institute for Medical Research. Hmm. And some years later, after the, the National Rockefeller Foundation, I mean, it chartered in New York, but with a, with a global scope, um, was established, the Institute for Medical Research was subsumed into the foundation. But as a standalone foundation, operating foundation, um, it ran a global campaign against a number of epidemics. Wow. So it was um, Rockefeller funded virologists who eventually came up with the first virus for the flu. It didn't happen in lightning speed. 
like we're seeing right now. I mean, that we're already talking on day 65 of the coronavirus that there's a potential vaccine to be tested in the U.S. And it took more than a decade um, back mm-hmm. when when this flu was um, was raging because medical technology and research was was so different than it is today. Um, but I think um, again that's cause for hope and and belief in philanthropy because it was um, this was all happening decades before we had the National Institute of Health and um, a lot of significant government infrastructure. So philanthropy incubates these ideas and solutions um, and a hundred years later we take them for granted. So I think it's uh, reassuring to look back. Hey, Kathy, just to expand expand on that with a final point, uh, again, you're so studied in history. What advice would you summarize for fundraisers today? This is not the first health crisis in world history. Certainly, sadly, won't be the last. I can predict that with unfortunate confidence. You know, we know uh, health uh, pandemics on the planet in B.C., you know, thousands of years ago. This is just part of the human condition. So here we are. What advice would you have for fundraisers as you look back in the great influenza of 1918 and and other incidents that people can utilize today? I think the notion of who is your community is um, something that fundraisers are probably hyper conscious of right now. Um, So during a, a lot of epidemics, public health crises, um, the notion of of community adapts to what's going on. And I think that that's, I mean, how, how many times in your classes have you, you led with um, fundraising is about relationships and right. relationships, right, are between people and among communities. And um, that can stretch across the world. That can be on your street, that can be your social media community. Um, I have students all over the world and I'm trying to figure out creative ways to connect with them. And I think that that's what fundraisers um, are challenged to do right now. And and people are starved for information during difficult times. And not, right, not fake news and not um, something that isn't, that they're not gonna connect to. But everybody is relating in some way to being isolated from uh, each other physically. And so how can we create community um, and share meaningful knowledge and stories of impact um, in ways that give us hope? I, th- I think that's, and as I'm thinking about my, my role as a volunteer fundraiser, as a board member, um, that's what's weighing on me now. How, how do I do that and do it effectively? As shocking as it sounded when the March Madness basketball tournament was brought to an end, philanthropy does not come to an end during these times of crises. Indeed. Uh, and we can, conti- uh, we, can continue, we can continue to foster our relationships, right. continue to fundraise. Uh, and you can also continue your professional development with these podcasts. They're archived on our website. Uh, and our website is philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. You'll also learn about our online classes as the fundraising school stays open for business. And Kathy, I'd like to ask you to just take a moment. One of the things, you know, we encourage people to find opportunity during times of crises. I just wonder if more of our colleagues are thinking, 
it really is time for me to go get that graduate degree that this crisis has taught me that for my job <laughs> security for my interest seriously right yeah. we don't, when the economy struggles a little bit people often are thinking about maybe it's time to go back to school and we have the online master's degree a program that you lead what, what does our audience need to know so um we are as versatile and flexible as we can be in terms of which semester you might be interested in starting your studies, um, spring, summer, fall, you can start with a single class. Um, check us out and see if uh, the communities that we create virtually or on campus um, are what you're looking for. I talk to prospective students all the time and a lot of the, the time I say, you know, you're, you're gonna learn things, you'll have a degree, a credential, but the lifelong connections that you make, who you're in class with, and a new community um, that will sustain you. And so I have found that to be true in my case, and I get to keep in touch with students um, who now I have known for many years. So. This is a master's degree in philanthropic studies, the only such degree in the entire world. Uh, this in so many ways prepares you for leadership opportunities in our sector. Uh, and again, more information available online at philanthropy.iupui.edu. With Dr. Kathy Bodicher, this is Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully up to date on this first day from the Fundraising School.